I welcome everyone who's here in the Sendo and everyone who's um, hearing this talk now or later through our, our electronic media, the miracle of being able to share. There's so many stories, you know, of, of the frontier days here in Oregon when somebody would be on a, a log jam and would fall in and die and they couldn't get news back to the East Coast for several months. And now we can instantaneously communicate with each other. It's amazing. Hogan and Lecce are doing some talks called Love in the Age of COVID, which for those who read is a little play on Love in the Age of Cholera. So I'm doing the first of some talks on the age of COVID, practice in the age of COVID. Today we held our monthly Kshiti Garba ceremony. If it wasn't videotaped, we'll record the ceremony, so if people wish, they can play it at home and join in. Kshiti Garba is the Sanskrit name for Jizo Bodhisattva. In China, the name is Titsang Busa. In Korea, Jijang Bosal, and in Tibetan, Tsai Po. Although <clears throat> Kshiti Garba is not well known in Tibet, or <clears throat> there aren't as many ceremonies and mantras and so on as we have in the other countries. The Chinese characters for Jizo are Ji, Earth, and Zo, womb or storehouse or treasury. So Jizo is the protector of all of the treasures that arise from the earth or are stored in the earth. And that includes you. So Jizo is the protector of you as a treasure born of the earth and eventually returning to the storehouse of the earth. And Jizo is the protector of all other treasures that arise from the earth. So what does that include? So if you look around you and you ask what came from the earth, the floor, the bamboo floor, the woven bamboo mat, the cloth cushions, the cloth of the clothing that you're wearing. In your house, you might look around and see um, paint on the walls, furniture, furniture containing wood, cloth, foam pillows. Maybe the coffee or tea that you're drinking at home as you listen to this talk. What comes from the earth? Is there anything that doesn't come from the earth? The food digesting in your belly. The light bulbs in in the lanterns above me the insulation in the ceiling, the shingles on the roof, the dust motes that you can see floating when the sunlight comes in the window, the elements of your body and any other bodies in the room with you. Where did they all come from? Are you able to find one thing around you that did not come from the earth. It can look a long time. Maybe cosmic rays, somebody would say, of somebody who likes to object to everything. Yeah, maybe cosmic rays. But what about everything else? Oh, what about oxygen? Where did oxygen come from? I mean, the wonderful thing about practice is it makes us curious about everything. And then when we're curious, we learn. We become educated about ourselves, about our own body, about our mind and heart, most importantly, but about everything around us. So practice becomes endless because there are endless things around us to learn about. So let's take oxygen. So this is from... A scientific article, the origin of air as we know it begins with the oxygen catastrophe. Did you know there was an oxygen catastrophe? 
also known as the Great Oxidation, which occurred about 2.7 billion years ago. Prior to this, the level of oxygen in the air was approximately 1 50th of a percent. It's now 20%, quite stable. The atmosphere of the early Earth was primarily carbon dioxide. But then, as the Earth, as organisms, microorganisms, arose from the Earth, and there are fossils now in Australia that are being interpreted as the first life forms that we know about in the fossil record, and they're tiny little microorganisms. And then they began to photosynthesize, and this carbon dioxide was progressively consumed, creating the waste product, from the plant's point of view, of elemental oxygen. The oxygen catastrophe is clearly demarcated in the geological record by the introduction of large amounts of oxygenated iron. These relics are called banded iron formations, so they can be seen by geologists when you get a cut of the layers of the earth. You can see these bands of rust, and we know that's when oxygen arose in the earth's atmosphere. The event is called a catastrophe because oxygen is toxic to anaerobic organisms, organisms that lived before oxygen, which the event wiped out in large numbers. There was a time lag of about 300 million years, oh, only 300 million years, before the evolution of the first oxygen-producing organisms and the full-fledged oxygen catastrophe. In the subsequent billions of years, oxyphotosynthesizing organisms flourish, producing more and more elemental oxygen. The history of air from practically zero oxygen to 20% oxygen stretches over more than 2 billion years. During the Carboniferous period, approximately 250 million years ago, when plants thrived, oxygen levels were even higher than they are today. This permitted the existence of very large insects, including a dragonfly, Meganeura, with a two-foot wingspan. Today's air would be unbreathable to Meganeura due to its relative lack of oxygen. So it's just endlessly fascinating what has led to today, to what we take for granted, that every, breathe, every breath we breathe, there'll be 20% oxygen. This is faith. You know, people say, oh, I'm not sure I have faith. You have faith every breath you take, that there'll be the right amount of oxygen and, and nitrogen and not too much carbon dioxide. You have faith with every step. When I step down from this podium, I, I don't go like tap, 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 is there a floor there? I have total faith that there's a floor there and that underneath that floor is the support of the earth. So if you start to look at your life and ask, what do I have faith in at this moment, in this moment, in this moment? It's, it's, a, it's a life woven up completely of faith. When I was in high school, there was a required subject called earth science. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved every bit of it because it was information about everything that was around me. And now when I fly in planes, I always like to get a window seat so I can look down. And I can identify, thanks to my earth science course, how mountains get tilted up, how plateaus are formed, and arroyos, and canyons, and oxbow lakes, and glaciers, and glacial moraines, and so on. Many other formations, how they came about. It's so beautiful to look down upon the earth and see how it was formed. And then how life appeared, and eventually we appeared. And we, who now have the power to change things in a positive direction, or not. How we came to be the primary acting organism on the earth. Of course, if we die out, then insects are probably going to take over because there's way more insects than there are people. And they, th they can survive a lot more harsh conditions than we can. So is that a catastrophe? The insectivization catastrophe might come. We don't know. 
We don't know. Do they worry about it? I don't think so. So Jiso Bodhisattva is the guardian of the earth and everything that arises from it. At this time, when all life on earth, all life on earth, coral reefs, monarch butterflies, etc., all life on earth is being threatened. And when human life is being threatened, so we're being threatened by climate change and by now by the COVID pandemic, which is threatening human life as far as we know, only human life, we can turn to Jizo Bodhisattva for protection. So I'm going to look at some of the lines from the Jizo ceremony and show how they're completely relevant. So the first is, Infused with the great benevolence of Kashiti Garbha, Bodhisattva, protector of all that is born from the earth. May I see and nourish the seeds of awakening in myself and everyone I meet. This morning I added everyone, myself, um, because we keep neglecting ourselves. May I see and see the nourished seeds of awakening in everyone I meet was the original line. But the inner critic makes us forget that we have the seeds of awakening in ourselves. And that our practice, our stumbling along, our mistakes, our difficulties, all of those are helping us to awaken. And maybe, you know, in times of old, sincere practitioners purposely put themselves in in places of difficulty so they could test their practice. And we hear those stories and we think, oh gosh, that's wonderful. I wish I could do that. There's a a story, I'm going to do a theme on Jizo Bodhisattva because fortunately I wrote a book years ago about Jizo Bodhisattva and, you know, I haven't really read it except when I had to give a talk from it Um, because by the time you finish writing a book, you're kind of sick of it. Um, But actually there's a lot in there, you know. Um, There's a beautiful story about a hermit who goes up into a, a mountain to meditate under, you know, the most simple and even severe conditions and he takes a bunch of dried persimmons with him and he's going to eat one dried persimmon a day and that's how he's going to live until he awakens so we love stories like that yes i'm going to go live in a cave you know in total darkness and let my beard and my na- my beard and my nails grow and only breathe once every 10 minutes and then i'll get enlightened <laughs> So on the way up the mountain, he, a, a young boy starts running after him and says, oh, can I come with you to the top of the mountain? So the hermit says yes. And then they get to the top and the hermit explains what he's going to do. And the boy says, oh, I'd like to join you. And the hermit says, well, I don't have any food except these persimmons. And the boy says, that's okay. We'll just divide each persimmon in half. You can have half and I'll have half. So the hermit says, okay, that's more austere. I guess that's good. Um, and then the story unfolds and eventually the the child is, turns out to be Jizo. So, you know, we love austerity until it's enforced from the outside. <laughs> so, infused with the great benevolence, may I see and nourish the seeds of awakening in myself and everyone I meet. So now we're in um, what we think is outside force, making us go into isolated and more austere conditions. People in Italy and Spain who have been in self-isolation and now in lockdown for several weeks longer than we have been in the U.S. tell me that the first week is kind of fun, which many of you may have discovered. You can relax, you don't have to go to work, you don't even have to put on clothing, you can wear pajamas. People are now reporting that they're forgetting to put clothes on every day. They're just wearing their pajamas for 72 hours. They forget what hour it is, what day of the week it is, how relaxing. It's like vacation. And you put aside this fast-paced life and you have time to connect with each other and do things around the house that you've been putting off. It's kind of like having a camping trip at home with a toilet and and toilet paper. (laughs) 
without the fear of poisonous snakes or bears, or even without the fear of COVID-19, which seems like far away in the first week, like something happening to other people in another part of the world or another part of the country. Then the second week, they report you get bored. You go to answer, you want to go out. Things aren't as bad. It's just the media hyping everything to be terrible. Couldn't I just run out to the bar for a drink with my buddies? Or the beauty shop to get my nails done? There's actually a, people are, who have COVID now are posting videos, and one of them is a woman from England who's pregnant and now in an ICU. And you can see as she's talking the difficulties she's having breathing. And she says, um, don't go out for a beer, it's not worth it. So apparently that's how she got infected. So couldn't you go to the beauty shop to get your nails done? Uh, the naysayers argue, well, no one I've talked to knows anyone who has COVID. Sure, and we know that I know the people at the salon. You know, I've been going there for years, so there can't be any danger there. And certainly I won't wear a mask because people will think you're paranoid or they'll think that you actually have COVID. And the cautionary, but the cautionaries say, get your nails done, are you crazy? So you'll look nice in your coffin? So we, we're getting messages from both sides, you know, people who are poo-pooing it and people who are saying, no, this is the time to act, to flatten the curve. Don't be stupid. So we wear masks as a bodhisattva act. We wear masks as a bodhisattva act. This is the vow of Jizo Bodhisattva, to save others before we save ourselves even. And there's new evidence that just came in this morning on my computer that in the countries where everyone is expected to wear a mask, the curve of cases is flattened dramatically. They show you know, the number of cases and the curves in all the developed countries, which are, okay, from your point of view, like this. And in the countries where everyone is expected to wear a mask, they're like this. So this is something new that some epidemiologists, statisticians found by looking at the curves. And the countries where they're expected to wear masks are smaller countries. And so they don't appear on the big maps of uh, graphs of curves. So it hadn't been noticed up until they really analyzed the data. And the number of cases overall is significantly reduced. So these countries include the Czech Republic. You know, like the Czech Republic is telling us what to do. Well, it turns out they're a model. You couldn't find it on a map, I bet, the Czech Republic. And yet, they had a movement early on to sew masks, because they didn't have a good supply of masks. And so it's a, world, it's a countrywide movement to sew masks. Everyone wears a mask. And they have trees where you hang masks. In case somebody doesn't have a mask, they can just go to the tree and get a mask. And in Singapore, same thing. And in Taiwan, there's a, an ad in Taiwan of the woman president of Taiwan holding up a mask and saying that the face mask team in Taiwan is producing 10 million masks a day. 9.5 million on a weekday, but on the weekends when people can really sew, 10 million masks a day. And their, their curves are like this. Where are curves like this? And the Czech motto, now advertised all over Czechoslovakia, or the Czech Republic, is my mask protects you, your mask protects me. So there's a lot of data on that website, and we'll include the link on this talk when we post this talk on the zendas.org website. And also, you know, you can find uh, hundreds, literally, of YouTube videos about how to sew, ma sew masks, and, but not so much on how to disinfect them. So I'll post information about that too on the web. So why am I not wearing a mask? I was gonna wear one just to make the point, but we've been in uh, self-quarantine now for over two weeks 
and nobody's gotten sick. So it seems like, with the known incubation period of COVID, that this community is safe. But when we send somebody out to shop, so we, tend, we send two of our young people out to shop, because young people seem to have a milder case, although there's some concern they may be super spreaders. Um, they wear a mask and they wear gloves, and that's what everyone should be doing. If you go out to go grocery shopping, you should be wearing a mask and glove, gloves. When you come home, throw away the gloves because they've touched all the surfaces where the virus can land and survive for a long time, like counters are the worst. And you then we disinfect the mask, and then you um, later, first you take a shower and wash your hair and put your clothes in the wash. I know it seems like a lot of work, but it's really important. It is a bodhisattva act. So wearing a mask, protecting the seeds of awakening in yourself and others, protects the possibility of turning this pandemic into a positively transformational event worldwide. There are so many possibilities that are emerging besides people connecting with each other. I heard the mayor of a tiny town, a tiny county in rural county, very rural, uh, ranchers and farmers in Eastern Oregon, uh, talk about how they have developed a network where every person calls five other people just to check in on them and make sure they're okay and make sure they don't have any needs. So this small county, he said, you know, ranchers and farmers, it doesn't matter what their political leanings are. This is about community. So that's what they're doing there. So that's one possibility that we'll take better care of ourselves and each other. There are so many possibilities, and they all begin with people caring about each other. So people are planting gardens now, like the Victory Gardens that people planted in World War II. So my parents had a Victory Garden, because I was born at the end of World War II. And seeds are now selling out online. And now I read yesterday, baby chicks are selling out. And uh, talking to our oldest son, the kids are home, you know, from school, which creates some problems, but they just hatched eggs at home. And so they were showing me their first two baby chicks that were hatched, and now they have five. And so the kids get to play with them and name them and, you know, keep them warm and so on, and keep the dog away from them. And, uh, so it's occupying the kids, and they're learning about biology and life. So maybe we'll begin to come into contact with the earth, to appreciate and care for it, to join Jizo Bodhisattva in caring and protecting for the earth. So the next line in the Kshiti Garbha ceremony is, infused with the great determination of Kshiti Garbha, Bodhisattva, May I walk the path to enlightenment, never turning back or guiding myself in every one to liberation. So people are coming back to practice. We have a lot of people joining us on our weeknight, now every night, um, programs of meditating together online, and chanting together online, hearing some Dharma words, connecting with each other. So, you know, one of my mottos is we practice in the good times to be ready for the difficult times. But it's the difficult times, it's suffering, it's human suffering that brings people to practice. Most people come to practice because they're suffering. And that's okay. That's the redemptive value of suffering, right? If we didn't have suffering, we'd be like, oh, I'm so happy. Why would I want to sit for an hour and follow my breath, count my breath. No. So suffering has a huge value if people have the option of spiritual practice to help them learn how to relieve their own suffering. If they don't have that option, then people are just lost in what the Buddha called the hell realms. 
So the six realms of existence um, are a classic Buddhist teaching, and the most difficult realm is the hell realm. And if you actually look at the early teachings of the Buddha, the Buddha defined hell as being in mental and physical suffering without hope of relief. So it wasn't defined like, you know, burning or freezing or your heart being torn out, all that stuff. It was defined as experiencing mental and physical suffering, pain, without hope of relief. So practice is offering yourself that hope of relief, learning how to relieve your own suffering. And extending the practice to others is offering that opportunity to others. It's invaluable, invaluable, this treasure that we offer, that all spiritual places offer. We've been lulled into thinking that the good times that some of us have experienced since World War II would last. After World War II, we were victorious, you know, we won the war, we were the good guys, there was a growing middle class, there was a GI Bill, so GIs coming back could get educated, could then start a career, they could, there was a GI loans for building houses, the middle class ideal was, you know, you had a house and chicken in every pot and so on. I mean, these were, this was what everybody believed. And there was, there was good education, it was relatively inexpensive, you could go to community colleges, you could get loans that weren't astronomical, cost of education wasn't astronomical, there was a good medical system, there was plenty of wine and food and toilet paper, and now we have plenty of marijuana and even hallucinogens. So we don't need to train our heart-minds when things are good, and we don't see the urgency. Because in our imagination and our predictions about the future, this will continue until I die. And hopefully I'll be chanting a mantra as I die, you know, with all my loved ones around me and all unfinished business taken care of. Well, now that death could come at any time to any of us, it's like, whoa, there's a lot of unfinished business. So I would rather not die now. So we wear masks and we take care of each other. And we will need that determination not to go backwards when this pandemic is over. We will need great determination not to go backwards in our own selves and in the nation and in the world. We've already begun to go backwards in terms of our care and love for people around the world. We can't go to sleep again. We have the opportunity to really develop ways of caring for poor people, the growing poor middle class and poor, poor class. To take care of homeless, houseless people. To improve our educational system. To make it free as it is in European countries for people who don't have the money but qualify for college. To include meditation in the curriculum to inoculate our kids. So many of whom, when they learn about the threats in the world, from climate change and now from COVID, feel hopeless and contemplate suicide. You'd be amazed when you ask a group of 20, 30, even 40-year-olds, have you ever contemplated suicide? You'd be amazed. Have we ever tried? You'd be amazed. Have you tried more than once? You'd be amazed. So we have to turn this sense of hopelessness into a sense of hope and possibility for change. To inoculate people through the practice against despair. We, we might have the chance to provide universal health care, even universal basic income. I mean, it's stunning. It's stunning to those of us who've watched this progression over in my case, 75 years, to hear those things talked about in a presidential primary race. Unbelievable. Things that seemed radical even a year ago are now being talked about. 
possibly, possibly, if we don't forget how we care for each other, we'll be able to make these changes. After the horror of World War II, we, supported, we saw the necessity for and supported the development of the United Nations. And when I was in school, we took a field trip to the United Nations, and we learned that it was the League of Nations, now it's the United Nations, and we just thought this is the most wonderful thing, that nations around the world are cooperating. And then NATO, and then the Marshall Plan, where we, the victors, the winners, took care of the countries that we had conquered and helped them move up out of misery and suffering to become developed and strong countries, stronger in some ways than we are. And the Peace Corps. You know, we had, we had ideals based on great optimism, great determination, fearlessness, and the vow to help others, the Bodhisattva vow. And somehow, as people have become more, some people have become more prosperous, and we've lost sight of caring for the people who aren't, we've fallen asleep. Or we've become angry. Hmm? This is a risk in times of danger, or perceived danger, that we become angry. And, you know, one of my constant teachings is underneath anger is fear. Fear and sadness. Sadness is fear of loss. Fear of things not going the way we want them to go. Fear of our own death and the death of those we love. So underneath anger is always fear. And if we can identify the fear, then we can say what we need to say or do what we need to do without the channel being anger. So we did a class years and years ago here at the monastery on anger, and we contemplated, is anger ever beneficial? We talked about it for a long time, you know, aspects where anger might be good and so on. But ultimately, we decided that anger is a messenger that something's wrong, but it's not the means to change what is wrong. It's a very, very bad means to use to try to change things as we have seen in this country, reactivity and anger. It's a very poor way to change things. But if we admit our fear, if we admit our vulnerability as human beings, then love arises. Compassion and loving kindness arises. And with that energy fueling our determination, our optimism, we can do a lot to change things. It's instead of retreating again into self-satisfaction and fear of others sharing what we have. Fear of others sharing what we have. Are we in this country willing to each reduce the high level of health care that we have so that other, so everyone in this country can have health care? And I was very inspired to hear a couple of days ago that the Sanders campaign, now that it's clear that he won't be the Democratic nominee, they have turned all the energy of that campaign, the resources of that campaign, to educating people. As long as Sanders still has a platform, he's using that platform for good. And so they're educating people about COVID and all the other issues that um, he was supporting. So that's beautiful. That when somebody steps down from, I'm, I want to win, I want you to nominate me, then everything that's been gathered, the huge um, army of young people that, and older people, but a lot of young people that were supporting Sanders, can turn all of that energy, instead of into disappointment and anger and reactivity, into something positive, into something that can help this country change into something beneficial for us and for the world. 
infused with the great optimism of Kshiti Garba, Bodhisattva. May we see and nourish the seeds of awakening in everyone we meet. Everyone. Everyone. So this is seeing the Buddha, or at least the baby Buddha, in everyone. And wanting to help in any way we can so that that Buddha can grow up, maybe over lifetimes, we don't know, and bring benefit to the world. Great optimism. So great benevolence means an undefended heart, going forward with an undefended heart, with fearlessness. And that recurs in another one of the aspects of Jizo Bodhisattva, fearlessness. So we practice loving-kindness, one of the most important practices as we face this COVID wave sweeping across the U.S. And we watch the tragedy of what's happened in Europe, and what will happen in Central and South America and Africa. I always say, when you can't do anything else, do loving-kindness practice. So now, we need, for most people who don't have time to practice, and I'll talk about that in a minute, we need small, like three-minute practices that people can do as they rush around taking care of others. And the best one is loving-kindness for ourselves to to dispel our fear and anxiety, to find a place of balance, of centeredness in ourselves so that we can do the work we need to do, however we're going to help each other. And loving-kindness is the best. So we do it for ourselves, and then we send it out to those we know and love, to those we're caring for if we're working in a job, where we're still caring for others, and then out into the world for all of those who are suffering. In Italy, a priest demanded that he be taken off of the respirator so that a 20-year-old could go on the respirator, and he died. And over, last I heard, over 60 priests have died in Italy. And they tend to be older. There's always a, also a very cute uh, video of a priest who's uh, live-streaming his his mass, and he doesn't know that he's turned on this special feature where all these things appear, like now he's a dog, and now he's an old man, and now he's a robot with a helmet, and now he's lifting weights while he's doing his sermon. So, But he's doing his sermon with great determination and great optimism, even though all these things, are, he can't see them, I guess, flashing around him. Um, but it provides some much-needed levity at this time. And, you know, many healthcare workers are dying. I heard yesterday that about 60 doctors have died in Italy. Um, So they showed great determination, never turning back. And we can send loving kindness to all of those who are still in the midst of this battle to try to save lives. Infused with the great fearlessness of Kshiti Garba, Bodhisattva. May we know that all demons arise from ignorance and take refuge in the one bright mind. So there's a lot of ignorance right now, and we need to depend on research that's fast emerging from countries that are ahead of us in the COVID epidemic or the research I just talked about. Because even yesterday I watched, I watched a, a videotape about masks, homemade masks, out of Vanderbilt Medical Center, saying they're worthless, don't bother. But the, re, the new research shows not a, that's not true at all. In fact, uh, yesterday I was telling the residents about a study that showed that If you wash your hands, and I've made a video which we'll post for Zen kids of all ages with a little song about washing your hands, so you can sing the song, and it'll take 20 seconds to wash your hands. Um, 
and it, on it it's got information, it's kind of like a nature study too about soap and how soap works and a little experiment that kids can do at home or adults showing how soap disperses germs. So the research shows that washing your hands uh, more than 10 times a day, that's a lot, um, reduces the chance of the flu virus, not, we don't know about COVID, but in all the studies about influenza, 50%. And um, wearing gloves when you go out and contact other people's surfaces also reduces the chance of the transmission of the virus about 50%. And if you add in masks, wearing a mask is about 60% reduction. And if you combine them all, washing your hands, wearing gloves and a mask when you go out, it's about 91% reduction. And we know that there's a shortage of masks. So all around the world, people are making masks. We're making them here too. Downtown at the temple downtown, they're making masks for the homeless clinic, clinic that serves homeless people in Portland. And the, you know, there are websites now where you can find out in your area who needs masks. In Corvallis, they're making masks at our Sangha there, affiliate Sangha there, because it's something you can do, something concrete you can do that, that help. And here we're making them for um, residents' families who don't have masks. We're making them for the assisted living facility in town, which was out of masks. And for the hospital, our nearest hospital, where we go if we have emergencies, they're asking for them too. So no matter how they're used, if they're only used for people as they come into the emergency room with unknown illnesses, to keep them from coughing on everybody else in the emergency room, or if they're now being used by healthcare workers, which they are, making masks is one concrete thing that we can do. And keep up on the research. So I will, as I said before, send out some of the research to help reassure people that it's not foolish to wear a mask when you go out. It's a bodhisattva act. And it doesn't matter if people look at you strangely these days, that's fine. I mean, Zen used to be a really weird thing to do when I first started, and Hogan first started practicing. You know, you didn't tell people that you meditated. I never told other doctors that I meditated. They thought that was crazy. And when I began doing acupuncture, I never told other doctors. I tried once, and that was the end. It was like, why would you do that? Well, because it works for some conditions that we can't treat. But, you know, there's great defendedness about I know what's right. We all have that tendency. And so I learned don't talk about meditation or acupuncture. And of course now it's the rage, right? Meditation, there's, you can go online and find a million offerings of meditation right now in this time of fear, anxiety, and stress. Wonderful. So, (laughs) back to don't feel that people are staring at you or judging you or wondering if you have COVID or wondering if you're paranoid. If you wear a mask, wear a mask. You're protecting all those people who are looking at you with fear and suspicion. And soon, as word spreads about the research, people will be wearing masks. I heard, this was two weeks ago, I heard a man uh, is an American living in China And he was talking about the only time he left lockdown in his apartment was to go out for a jog along a canal. But he said he went out without a mask and everybody else was wearing masks and people screamed at him for not wearing a mask. So in countries where they know what's happening, people are wearing masks. In countries where the curve is flattened, people are wearing masks. So no matter what you think or what other people imply wear a mask when you go out. Infused with the great vow of Kashiti Garba Bodhisattva 
protector of all that is born from the earth. May I gladly enter every hell realm, guiding myself and everyone to liberation. So who are the people gladly entering every hell realm? The healthcare workers. If you read one article, it's probably enough, about the condition of hospitals now in New York City, you will know that every day they enter a hell realm. And many of them say, this is the first time in my whole career that I have been afraid to go to work because things are so chaotic. But they say, I have a moral obligation to go in and do what I can. That's a great vow. To gladly enter every hell realm. EMTs, but also the people in grocery stores where people are now getting infected, the people in the Amazon warehouses that are delivering all the things they're ordering online, now they're getting infections there. I mean, these people are bodhisattvas. They're taking care of us. The garbage truck still comes here twice a week to collect our garbage and our recycling. That's a bodhisattva. Our septic system blew a pump, and the bodhisattva uh, who descends into septic tanks to replace pumps is coming. But before that, we have to have the bodhisattva who makes a road for the gigantic truck to come in for the man to repair the septic tank. I mean, just start looking around you. Pharmacists, one of our um, residents here, called a friend of his. He just had the instinct that he should call this friend, long-term friend, and check in with him. And it turned out, the, I don't, probably don't have the relationship exactly right, but the story is right. So the friend was very uh, distressed, grieving, because his aunt, who's a pharmacist in Italy, got infected and then infected her two parents at home who died. So how do you dislodge that from your heart when you've infected other people? But we could be infecting other people without knowing it because we don't know how this spreads. So wear a mask. I have a one-track mind today. (laughs) Wear a mask. (laughs) So all around you are bodhisattvas who are caring for us as we sit happily in our little self-quarantine feeling relatively safe. So now, this is started in Europe, in Spain. They're clapping at 8 o'clock in Europe, because you don't eat dinner until 7. <laughs> so after dinner, here in the U.S., it's now, in Portland at least, it's 7 o'clock. Um, people are clapping or going out on their porches or banging pots or blowing you know, loud musical instruments at 7 o'clock and, uh, in Portland check your city to find out when it is wherever you live. And it's in thank you for the healthcare workers or everyone else who's risking their lives to take care of us. And it makes me tear up, but I read that one uh, healthcare worker when this began was driving to work and just was filled with energy by hearing this outburst of gratitude and added to her great determination, okay, I can go in for another day and face this, and face the fear of infecting my family when I go home. So, there is something you can do, concrete. If you can sew masks, sew them and give them away. Don't sell them. There are people online selling the masks they're making. Just give them away, unless you have to pay for the materials. You can sew masks, you can pray. You know, it's interesting, often when we're under stress, we revert back to the religion of our childhood and we find ourselves praying. That's a whole topic for a talk about prayer and Buddhism. But if you find yourself reciting the Lord's Prayer, and by the way, it takes two recitations of the Lord's Prayer to wash your hands, 20 seconds. Turn hand-washing, that's one thing you can do, into 
a bodhisattva act into loving kindness. Make up your own mantra. Do the Lord's Prayer. Do the little song that we're going to um, post about washing your hands so everybody can stay safe. But there are so many ways during the day to take a few minutes to practice, to open the heart to the suffering in the world and to do something about it. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the enemy. Was it Winston Churchill? Hogan who said? Franklin Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself in World War II. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And it's so true. And if we can recognize the fear, if we can name the fear, investigate the fear, then things begin to change. And we don't have to get angry. We can turn all of that energy into determination to make a difference. We can turn all the energy of fear into loving kindness or compassion practice. We can turn all that energy into keeping our environments clean and the environments that we enter clean. We can flatten the curve. We can reduce the number of deaths. We can save lives, literally save lives, without being a medical person on the front line. We won't know whose life we saved, but it could be many people we don't know. And that's how we practice. We practice with great benevolence, with an open, warm, and undefended heart. We practice with great determination, never turning back from the path to enlightenment, no matter how long it takes. We practice with great optimism. There are no lost causes. Jizo is the patron saint of no lost causes in Japan. And Jizo says, as we say in our ceremony, if people have as much good as a drop of dew, a, a mote of dust or a tiny bit of down, through practice that can be cultivated and grown until that person becomes a bodhisattva. So utmost optimism about bringing about positive change in this world. Great fearlessness, knowing that what we have to fear is here and here. This is okay once we uncover it. It's this, it's our thoughts and great vow. So please practice with all of these together with us. Thank you.